Welcome everyone to our worship service at United Methodist Church of Westlake Village for this Sunday, September 25th, 2022. We're so glad you joined us today for worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We're worshiping online and in person, masks recommended, yet not required. Let's just make a point to be courteous to one another's sense of health, safety, keeping our distance, and less invited to draw closer. I'd like to make a few announcements. Um, the women's retreat is October 1st. Candace Shehorn is leading. She's our leader on that. And um, you see it up on the screen there. So uh, actually, I guess September 30th, uh, this Friday, right? The following Friday. It, yeah, it's coming up, Candace. Get ready. <laughs> Starts then and uh, goes through the uh, first. Um, and that will be at St. Matthew's Church in Newberry Park. So all of you women, please join. And uh, the bell choir, got a little clip that we're going to play for the bell choir. I'm Nick Newkirk. I'm the handbell director here at the United Methodist Church of Westlake Village. We're looking at restarting our youth handbell program and wanted to invite you, anybody from second to 12th grade, all the Kinehoe Connect folks to join us. We'll be rehearsing once a week for about 45 minutes and then we'll record our sessions so you can share for all three churches within the Kinehoe Connect community. If you want to have a good time, be a part of the worship service, but maybe don't want to sing, handbells could be a great thing for you. We have a lot of fun, so we really do hope you can join us. Okay, so uh, also the um, church, um, Chris, what's the name of your committee? Social, Social Concerns Committee is having a wonderful program tonight at 4 o'clock. Uh, you see it up on the screen, it's called Home Matters. It's a book study of made hard work, low pay, and a mother's will to survive. So I hope you can join us tonight at 4 o'clock, and that's going to be online. Okay, thank you. And... Um, we're having on the 30th of October, we rescheduled the planning uh, session that we had scheduled for um, August 21st. We're moving that to October 30th. The reason that we moved it is because that was the first, that was the day before the first day back for school and it looked like it was going to be a train wreck for the uh, moms and dads and families getting everybody back to school. So, uh, and so we had kind of a low turnout. So we want to get at least 50 people. And uh, Katie Comparado, I want you there. We need young people. This is the future of your church. All young people, we, we don't need childcare. Just bring your kids. We're going to feed you. It's going to be a good, good meal. Last time we had a great meal. So um, we'll make it the same. And uh, refreshments, it's going to go till 3.30. So plan your time accordingly. And please show up. We want you to be part of the uh, future of the church. And then finally... The, uh, I don't see Rick Schrader here. He's leading our Conejo Connect uh, and doing a great job of that. Took over for Julie Elgener. And uh, we've got an intergenerational midweek program uh, Tuesdays um, this month. And our last one uh, of this month is going to be this Wednesday at uh, UMC Thousand Oaks. Tuesday. Thank you. It says Tuesday up there, and I said Wednesday. So I was just 
making sure Pam was paying attention back there. Thank you. Okay, let's uh, now center ourselves in preparation for worship. Remain standing for the hymn and invocation. This is the day, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Sisters, let us gather and worship God. Praise, Praise God. God. Praise God. Let all creation and all God's children praise the Lord. <coughs> God, we gather today and seek your guidance as we look toward our future. We know that you brought us to this moment, and we pray you continue to inspire, direct, equip, and empower us for the journey ahead. We seek to be faithful and of consequence for you. Help us to live into this aspiration. Amen. Please be seated.
Hi friends, I'm so excited to be with you this morning today because I want to play a little game of wonder. I wonder what it would be like to have everybody love each other. People would be kind to each other. People would meet each other's needs. And maybe if somebody felt sad, if someone was kind to them, they wouldn't be alone. And I also wonder what would happen if I were to become a queen or a king? What kind of rules would I put down? What kind of things do I expect of the people that are in my kingdom? Well, in your Sunday school lesson today, you are going to be learning about a king who became a king at a very young age. His name is Josiah. And Josiah became a king when he was eight years old. Josiah was very faithful to God. That means he told, he followed what God told him to do. And I'm really excited when you go to Sunday school that you get to learn more and more about King Josiah. But I want you to think just a minute more about if you were king or you were queen, how would you treat your subjects, the people that live in your kingdom, and what would you expect of them? You know, last week we had a little bit of chocolate and it was kind of fun and kind of good because you know I love chocolate. But I really wonder, and I asked you last week, what would happen if the biggest rule in the world was everybody gets a piece of chocolate every day? I think that would make me nicer and I think it might even make the world a happier place. And you know, while we may not get that chocolate in our mouth, there is the love that God puts in our hearts each and every day. And I hope friends that you feel that love and you spread it out to another and that you are obedient and faithful following God's plan for your life. I'll see you soon. Let us pray. Dear God, help me to be the kind of person that you have called me to be. Help me to listen for what you want me to do and help me to say yes. Let us make this world a kinder place. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. children to leave. It's quite a little parade. I invite you to just take a moment and take a deep breath and center yourself as we begin our time of prayer today. Dear God, you bring sunshine after rain. 
and work healing in the midst of pain, touch memories with blessings, and long for us to know we are beloved. You splash the world with color, fill the air with singing birds and the roar of the ocean. You meet us at the tomb of our fears and send us forth with joy and hope. Dear God, you gave us Christ, a friend to the forgotten, who loves us without judgment, yet persuades us to change, who accompanies us as we walk and work with the poor, who befriends the lonely, surprises the oppressed, dances with the elderly, and offers compassion to the ailing. Dear God, you gave us the Holy Spirit, who weaves us into communities of faith for all ages, who is the stillness in every silence, the breath in every deep sigh, the love in every tender embrace, the hope in every dawning of each new day. Dear God, you are with us when we are stuck, trapped by memories of past failures, caught in a web of choices, halted by the clamor of many voices. We know too well the distress of worry and the blur of tears. And so we ask you to free us to follow you with joyful steps, to listen for your voice and heed your direction, to be bold and loving, courageous and caring, and brave in seeking your way. Dear God, now we ask you to hear us as we pray the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Our who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the glory forever. Amen.
The scripture lesson this morning is found in uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming onto the world to the test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write on you the name of God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Let everyone who hears have, excuse me, let everyone who has an ear listen to the, what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Greg Stewart. For those of you who do know me, my name's Greg Stewart. I uh, am uh, leading the church council, and somehow by virtue of that fact, uh, Walt thought it might be appropriate for me to uh, give a sermon. Never done that before, so I'm going to ask your forgiveness if I don't get it right. And uh, I need to start with, good morning, choir. Good morning. <laughs> Barbara said they were going to do that anyway, so I figured I'd just uh, beat her to the punch. Thank you, Barbara. What a great dinner last night for all of us who uh, had an opportunity to uh, join that. Um, I'd like to start with something a little bit different. Uh, I, uh, my wife and I own a company called Harmony Solutions International, so I'd like to create a little harmony uh, this morning. I go all over the world and uh, help businesses uh, do better, so um, this is one of the things that I like to do is to create harmony with those businesses, and this morning you guys get to participate in my little exercise. So uh, I'd like for you to stand up. Nancy and I are going to be the example up here. I, I want you to form pairs with each other. And again, uh, COVID is here, so you may want to socially distance. But uh, make sure Steve gets a pair in the back and uh, make sure everybody pairs up. Uh, pairs, if you, if you have to do a triple, uh, just improvise. So somebody needs to get with Steve Ames in the back, and then we'll start. There we go. Mr. Comparati, thank you. Okay, so simple exercise, just uh, face each other, 
look deeply into each other's eyes. Don't, Kathy, don't get too close there. <laughs> and what, what, what I want you to do in all seriousness is to uh, center us in a, in a spirit of the Lord and moving forward. I want you to look in the other person's eyes and say, the number one. Well, pick, pick the number one. Who's going to be one? Hold your hand up if you're number one. Okay, you're going to be a number one and a number two. So what I want you to be, I'm going to be number one in our uh, relationship with, with Nancy, and I want number ones to say, uh, repeat after me, I see God in you. I see God in you. And then the number twos now say, and I see God in you. And I see you in you. Thank you. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, I just wanted to do that to get a center. Now, one of the things that we've been working on uh, with Church Council is creating a vision for our church, and I'm going to walk you through some of the options that we might want to look at in forming that vision. And we've, we've already set the, five, the three- to five-year vision, so we've, we're kind of boxed in by that, but uh, we, we do have an opportunity for everyone in the church to participate in setting uh, how we're going to get there over the next year, and that's what, that's what October 30th is all about. And so I'm going to ask a few questions. It may be a little uncomfortable for some of us, but uh, there are things that we need to consider. And I'm going to start by saying buenos dias. Good morning. Thank you. And not to be left out, I hope the people at home, I'm looking in the camera now so that uh, you all who are joining us virtually, uh, hopefully you experience that. I see, the, I see God in you uh, back and forth also. And welcome uh, I know Jeannie Severance put together the uh, event last night, and I just want to say thank you, Jeannie, so much for that. That was, uh, that was wonderful. And I also want to start out by saying uh, Elaine's, uh, Elaine's mom, we spent, we spent time with her yesterday, and we brought flowers from our garden today. Um, to honor her, she's experiencing some health difficulties, and she is a wonderful person. So thank you, Elaine, for bringing those flowers. Sorry for the tears. Um, so some of the questions I would ask our, our church. Are we the English language only church, or do we speak other languages? Are we an American church? Notice the American flag. Or are we a church of all nationalities? I don't know if you know that uh, Linda, help me with Linda, Linda Northrop, came up here and she did what Nancy's going to do. Thank you, Nancy. I, I feel so grounded by having Nancy's wisdom and presence here with me tonight. But uh, Linda, when she was in a uh, church, uh, I think it was 40 years ago. She got up and did what she did for our church. And the men of the church had a really hard time with that. So 40 years later, what Walt did for her to have her come up and share the scripture cured uh, that 40 years of pain and suffering that she went through. So we did that for Linda. And what, what a wonderful new member Linda and David are for our church. So, the question I have for you is, 
Are we a church that values and respects women in leadership or just men? Are we a church who welcomes and affirms lesbian, bisexual, gay, trans, queer, questioning, intersex, asexual members, or just straight? We've met David Kettle, and he's a wonderful represent, representative of that community. We have a family member who has gone through transsexual experience. I'm joining the affinity group for LGBTQ that has formed in our church so I can more easily understand what my family member is going through and others. Do you have to be Christian to come to our worship services? I accepted Christ in the Hollywood Presbyterian Church, First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood. I was sitting in the second, uh, uh, second level of that church, and I had a conversion experience in that church. I wasn't Christian for two years as I was going to that church. Do we accept non-Christians to come in and be with us, and do we reflect God's love to those people who come in who are non-Christian? Are we a church, for older people like me, I hate to say it, but uh, 63 years old, I'm probably uh, under the average age of our church membership. <laughs> Elaine told me to watch out with that one, so I, I, I'm glad you all are laughing. Um, or do we resonate with young people? And I called out uh, Katie Comparado. If we're looking at five years down the road, how, how, how old is Katie going to be in five years? Uh, 18. 18. I want Katie to go through at least three or four of those years with a mystery ramble that we don't have anymore. Let's make it happen. And thank God for Christy running our Conejo Connect. My goodness, is she a force to be reckoned with. So I think, that, I think we could make it happen with our team that's in place now. Now, here's one for society today. Are we a democratic church? Or are we a Republican church? Ooh. Ooh. Yes, quote. Hopefully. All right, now we're getting deep. Elaine, I know you warned me on this one. Are we the white church on the corner? Or do we resonate with many cultures? Now, these are choices we can make. We can, we can form this future for our church. Do we listen to or talk at each other? Seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. Now, I used to work at an Episcopal church in Pasadena that ran a homeless shelter in the basement of a congregational church. I made $5 an hour. It's the best job I ever had. Making $5 an hour, I had a friend named Robin Haynes that was a missionary to the Philippines. Making $5 an hour, and I, I'm reflecting on this, it's like, okay, so that's $10,000 a year. I gave her $1,000 for her uh, church uh, missionary. I chose the scripture today that Nancy so graciously read because in that time, Robin and I came together when two or more formed, or get together in the name of Jesus Christ. 
amazing things can happen. And we, we named our project the Philadelphia Project because we believe that that is the church that Christ loves. So I gave her $1,000. Why the last $1,000? But you're doing good work, so I can't think of a better thing to do with it. Now, <laughs> residents could stay two weeks and... Um, And, and, and we had 20 cots in, in, in the basement. They come in at 6, they leave at 6. Every night, the residents were allowed in after dinner, and, and they leave at night. We all felt bad putting them out on the streets at, uh, at 6 a.m., but that was what the church wanted. Uh, they take showers, they get organized, lights out at 10 p.m. I, I would always work holidays so I could more deeply bond with the homeless residents. Now I remember one couple, I don't remember their names. I'll call them Jim and Jane. Every night, and they had, they had 14 nights. Every night, they argued past lights out on the stairs near the shower for the first 10 nights. I stayed up with them every night, and I reminded them every night that they only have 14 nights. I also reminded them that the streets are rough. They were evicted for non-payment of rent and came straight to our shelter. On, and then on the 11th night, they came late to the shelter because they had been arguing intensely all day. The rules are rules and they weren't allowed in that night. The next night, <laughs> they came in ready to make a plan. Go figure. They were out on those dangerous streets. They listened closely to me and to each other, and we put together a plan. They, they, they went out, they made amends with family members, and had a place to move in by night 14. And I want to say to our church family, look, look around at the empty pews. We've made some financial decisions to cut back on expenses, and I want to submit to you that we are on night 11 as a church. We need to come up with a plan to move our church forward and serve the community in the image of Jesus Christ. And it's our choice how we do that. The church leadership came together in the spring and developed a practical vision for our church. If you were there that day, please stand up and be acknowledged. I want you to give these people a round of applause. Thank you. I'd say we had about 25 people uh, there, and we had the facilitator, same facilitator that will be with us on uh, October 30th. So we're progressing. We did the five-year vision. Now we need to do the one-year plan. And Candace Shehorn, in her wisdom, reminded us, you know, it's a lot easier to work on three things than nine things. But I'm going to take you through uh, the nine things that we uh, that we developed that day, and we're going we're gonna to boil that down on the 30th with the people who were there 
who care about the church and want to be part of the future design team of our church. Thank you, Candace, by the way. I thought that was wisdom. I probably didn't react that way at the time, but it, 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 is, it is the right thing to do. So, um, and, and, and I, I want to remind you that the, the leadership came together because in the scripture, the leadership wants our church to be the church that Christ loves so dearly. And I, and I know that there are people, I, I think the only people that put in more hours than the choir and uh, Candace and John Shehorn is probably uh, Boyd Donovan. So these folks are working hard uh, to make this church what it is. And I know so many other people do the same thing, but we can't do it uh, by ourselves. And I'm going to go through a call and response exercise to bring that vision uh, into unison. So, uh, Vinia, this is, uh, we're going to walk through this. So, um, the call and response is, uh, I'm going to say, uh, what do we want to see after I read this uh, first slide, and then I want you to say what's on the slide under that. So, uh, please stand and center yourself and prepare to use a passionate voice because we need passion uh, to achieve this five-year vision, three- to five-year vision. So my question to you is, what do we want to see in place in three to five years as a result of our actions? The next slide. What do we want to see? What do we want to see? That's two out of nine. What do we want to see? 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 And finally, what do we want to see? Remain standing and face your pairs again. Okay, this time number two goes first. And here's what I want the number twos to say. Will you join me in the all-church planning session? Will you join me in the all-church planning session? Number ones, here's what I want you to say. Let's build up the body of Christ together. Let's build up the body of Christ together. Amen. Okay, please have a seat. And thank you for that. Um, that was going to be the end of my sermon, and then Elaine said, pray some more. You all could have been early to lunch. And I asked Jane, I said, what time do we need to get out of here? She says, 11. I said, I'll get you out by 10.59. Now, 
Another church that I had experience with. So this is, this is about what is the, who, who, who do we want to be as a church? And I talked with you about the Episcopal Church, All, All Saints Church in, uh, uh, in Pasadena. That, that's who sponsored that homeless shelter. And I had the honor of working for them uh, before I got fired. I got fired for letting in someone that they thought shouldn't be in. And I thought, uh, you know, I carefully considered it. I let the guy in who was safe and uh, they decided I wasn't the right guy for the job. I also uh, spent uh, about a week, right after Elaine and I got married, we uh, had joined the uh, Wilshire United Methodist Church, and I was between jobs, um, going to work for Catholic Charities, running uh, their homeless program, or a lot of their programs in the uh, central LA area, and I mistakenly told someone in the church, you know, I'm really interested in that civil war in El Salvador. You know, I've never been down there. And they're like, oh, you know, we didn't have internet at the time. They said, you know, we have, actually have a uh, humanitarian mission uh, we're sponsoring, and uh, you, you can go. I was like, it's just kidding. <laughs> I don't need to go to El Salvador. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I was, I, just, I was just talking about that. But when, when I was going to work for Catholic Charities, a lot of our... Um, um, Clients, I guess you call, uh, were from El Salvador. It's in MacArthur Park area. That was part of my region. So I figured, well, let me go to the route, see what's going on in El Salvador so I can serve, uh, serve the El Salvador community better uh, in my new job. So I'm going I'm to read something. I timed it out. It takes seven minutes. So I promise we'll be out on time. <clears throat> and, and I... You know, we went into the back country, there were bullets flying, and, and one thing that I learned about uh, war is it's usually fought by little kids. These guys were 12 years old, their rifles were bigger than them, and they were, uh, they were fighting probably from here to, uh, I don't know, 200 yards away from us, bullets. Then they'd take a break, and at night they'd stop, and we'd beat them, and They'd then go back to having the war. And we, we, we took medical supplies and things. And I learned that if you look at the faces of the people, uh, that'll tell you, is it dangerous or not? And we, uh, we crossed into the back country, and uh, we took a Salvadoran guy with us, and the, uh, the, the government wanted to capture him because what they would do is they'd capture him and then put him into service in the war on their side. And their families would never hear from him again. Uh, but we avoided that with this guy. But in the march that we did, it was the Oscar Romero march. We, we marched around the city. Um, uh, three people were captured that day. So this was real. Um, and I couldn't talk to Elaine for a week during that period. And I don't know what was going on with her. Get tears again. So here, here's, here's what I pulled off the website after praying this morning. And one thing that I'd like for you to listen to is uh, consider the, the parallels between El Salvador in the 80s and the United States today. Just listen. Monsignor Oscar Romero E. Galdamez, fourth Archbishop of San Salvador, was assassinated while presiding at a memorial mass in the Carmelite Chapel of the hospital they named that on March 24, 1980. The Archbishop was standing behind the altar preparing the gifts of the offertory when two mercenaries approached the chapel 
and fired a single shot from a U.S. military assault rifle. Archbishop Romero died within minutes from shock and blood loss. He died as a martyr and a prophet. And as the greatest source of hope for millions of oppressed and impoverished Salvadorians, and as the greatest threat to the greed and arrogance of the oligarchy of 14 families that ruled El Salvador as if it were their own fiefdom, Romero had undergone a metanoia that transformed him from a timid defender of non-controversial virtues into a towering champion of the faith and of the faithful. He had discovered in his own words, the word of God is like the light of the sun. It illuminates beautiful things, but also things which would rather not see, which we would rather not see. Much of the illuminated reality was utterly unconscionable. Less than a month after his installation as Archbishop of El Salvador, his friend and colleague, Rutilio Grande, was machine gunned as punishment for helping peasants to organize, peasants organize to secure self-determination. Soon after, a right-wing paramilitary group ordered all Jesuits to leave the country or to face execution. Although Father Grande's murder had enormous impact on Romero, he realized that it was not an isolated incident. Literally tens of thousands of men, women, and children were murdered by the military and paramilitary death squads under the guise of anti-communism. Law and order, maintenance of traditional values. On one day alone, January 22, 1979, paramilitary snipers killed 21 people and wounded 120 more while they were staging a peaceful protest march through downtown San Salvador. So nine years later, I was part of that march. Fortunately, nobody was killed, but some people were captured and maybe killed later. In rural areas, campesinos were murdered on a daily basis and their bodies were left to rot on roadsides as warnings to others who might, quote, forget their place. The death squads commanded by Abusin, a uh, Salvadoran army officer who founded the right-wing arena political party and self-proclaimed Fuhrer of San Salvador, routinely murdered, tortured, raped, and looted with absolute impunity. Now, just as a side note, uh, um, the leftist group and ARENA have since formed a, 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 they're both political parties and they're ruling El Salvador with a, uh, with, uh, under that umbrella. The police and the courts existed primarily to exonerate the guilty and to punish those victims who dared to speak about the mistreatment they had suffered. Beyond the overt violence, Oscar Romero saw institutionalized social and economic injustice on a pervasive scale. 2% of the population controlled 50% of the nation's usable land, and the 16 richest families owned the same amount of land utilized by 230,000 of, of the poorest families. 2% controlled 57%. The use of the comparative rather than superlative is intentional since the poorest families had no land whatever and were forced to sleep in ditches and muddy fields. Does that sound like homeless in America? Hungry farm workers were beaten or shot for eating a piece of the very produce they had grown. I met those farm workers. 
Mines and factories operated under the theory that it was cheaper to replace dead or crippled workers than to repair defective equipment. 60% of all babies died at birth, and 75% of the survivors suffered severe malnutrition. Hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children died from diseases that could have been cured by basic medications, medications that we delivered to them. Facing such realities, Archbishop Romero began to ask his now famous questions. How can Christians do such things to each other? What can the church do to help? He found his answer in the realization that he had been called to Christ a second time, to the Christ who spoke to him in the Beatitudes. He found it also in the principles of the liberation theology, which is very controversial, and I'm not certain I subscribe to the whole thing, but this was what he stood for, that he had once condemned. In the voices that had risen at the Second General Conference of the Latin American Episcopate uh, at Medellin, Colombia, and in the simple yet powerful truth of Father Gustavo Gutierrez's dictum, to know God is to do justice. In the last sermon Romero preached, only one day before his assassination, he spoke directly to the military. I want to make a special appeal to soldiers, National Guardsmen, and policemen. Each of you is one of us. The peasants you kill are your own brothers and sisters. When you hear a man telling you to kill, remember God's words, thou shalt not kill. No soldier is ob obliged to obey a law contrary to the law of God. In the name of God, in the name of our tormented people, I beseech you, I implore you, in the name of God, I command you to stop the repression. These are among the most famous of Monsignor Romero's words, and they are the words that best define his Christianity, his ministry, and his character. In the 1988 Romero lecture, Archbishop Luciano Mendez, president of the Brazilian Conference of Catholic Bishops, told us, Archbishop Romero was a man of nonviolence who paid a great price for his solidarity with the oppressed. His exhortation to the soldiers to lay down their arms and stop killing their own people was the last straw. Men of violence could not accept that a man of peace should ask people to stop killing. Monsignor Romero had long been aware that his vocation was a dangerous one. He saw himself denounced in the government-controlled media on an almost daily basis, and he received numerous death threats. He responded by physically isolating himself from his colleagues and friends to the greatest extent possible. And this is what touched me. Trying to prevent them from becoming collateral casualties, but he refused to be silenced. In his final Sunday homily, just one day before his assassination, he said, I have no ambition of power, and because of that, I freely tell those in power what is good and what is bad and I do the same with any political group. It is my duty. Thank you, Monsignor Romero.
you are invited to share of your financial resources via the instructions that will appear momentarily on the screen to help support the ministries of Christ that happen through our congregation. If you are worshiping in person, you are invited to take advantage of the ushers who will be passing offering plates down the pews. Your generosity is needed to keep us going, to keep us doing the good we do. So give generously and be a part of what happens in people's lives through the congregation of the United Methodist Church of Westlake Village.
God, we ask that you bless these gifts and those who gave them, that our ministries in your son's spirit might thrive, helping your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Today's service has been a blessing to you. Again, please forgive me if I didn't get it right. Let's work with the Spirit and one another, making this a great day. Stay safe, be healthy, know that you are loved. We go in God's Spirit, seeking peace and justice, letting love lead. Be blessed by that Spirit and be a blessing to others. Amen. And amen. Thank you.